Today our text comes to us from Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Jesus Christ is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from God, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The right love is what I want to talk about today. And as we get into this, I want you to think about what is the most important thing in your life. What do you see, not as your wants in this world, but as your needs? What do you need in this life? What do you really, really need? Paul asks this question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? See that the first three, tribulation, distress, and persecution, these are things that we encounter as disciples of Jesus. Because of our faith, because of our gospel proclamation, the world revolts against that. And so these are, these are the consequences of following Christ that we can expect in life. But the others, those are more generalized that both believers and unbelievers experience. Famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. These are the general suffering that's in line with living in this world. Think of famine as a scarcity of food. Nakedness is a scarcity of goods. Danger is a scarcity of safety and the sword is a scarcity of peace. And as I was going through those thoughts in my head, I couldn't help but go back to my undergrad work when my minor was in psychology, and I came across this guy named Maslow. And maybe you're familiar with the psychologist Maslow. He, he, de he determined there's, that there's this hierarchy of needs, and the basic, most general, most important, most pressing need that all of us have are the physiological needs, like food. Shelter, clothing, that's the most basic human need. Then when you go above that basic human need to the next level, you, you start getting into to things that, that have to do with, with just a, a little bit more, things that, that have to do with personal security and health. And then once you go above that, you start getting into more relational kinds of needs, 
things that have to do with esteem and love and connection, belonging, and what Maslow calls self-actualization, which is just a fancy way of saying being the best person that you can be. But there's a problem with what Maslow thinks. Because if the single most important things in your life are things, then what happens when those things are threatened and your most important basic needs are taken away? What happens when your health is threatened by a doctor's call? What happens when a loved one passes away? What happens when your career comes to an end? What happens when storms beat against your house and lightning strikes? In these moments when those most important basic needs are ripped away from you, hope is ripped away. Joy is ripped away. Peace is ripped away. Paul shares that, that God disagrees strongly with Maslow. In fact, he flips it upside down. The most important needs that we have have nothing to do with the tangible things or the general suffering in this world. See, Paul describes a disciple's hierarchy of needs. And a disciple's hierarchy of needs first come these things like our need for esteem, love and belonging and self-actualization. Let me dig deeper into that. That first one, esteem, this is what he describes, Maslow describes as respect, self-esteem, status, recognition, strength and freedom. As Christian disciples, we understand esteem to be our faith counted to us as the righteousness of Christ. The sure freedom that we have through the waters of our baptism set free from the law. We still have the law in our life, but we live it out out of joy of showing our love to God, not out of trying to earn his favor or his grace. We understand that here at St. Luke's as our transformed life of freedom. Maslow says, well, there's also this love and belonging piece, this friendship, intimacy, family, sense of connection. We as disciples at St. Luke's understand that that is knowing that Jesus, as Paul says, is the firstborn of the sons and daughters of God. That Jesus brings us into a renewed and restored relationship with our Father. An intimate connection and sense of belonging, not just with him, but with one another. Then there's this Maslow's self-actualization to become the most that we can be. Again, he gets this wrong. It's actually not self-actualization. It's Christ-actualization. Because we allow the Holy Spirit to conform us to the image of Christ. And that connects to this transformed life of, of joy as we worship and honor him. And this life of renewal transformed to be like him. And when these true needs are met by God on our behalf, we can look at our safety needs and our physiological needs as being less important, right? We really don't need to fear any scarcity of them, which leads us then to be more generous with them, with our time, our treasures, our talents, because we know they're not limited. They're limitless because those are the pieces of the daily bread that God promises to deliver us every single day. And we can be generous with them, knowing that he is generous with us. And that's our life of sacrifice. I want you to know three things this morning about the love of God. Number one, the love of God is your greatest need. 
Number two, the love of God is sovereign. And number three, the love of God is permanent. The love of God is your highest need. Now, there are a couple of parables that really tie into this really, really well. Jesus teaches about this man who finds this treasure in a field, and he sells everything that he has to purchase that field so that he can legally own that treasure. And then there's this guy who's this pearl merchant, and he's looking for the greatest and the best pearls, and he finds the best pearl he has ever seen in his entire life. He sells everything so he can go buy that pearl. Now, what a lot of people think is that this is talking about the kingdom of heaven is like these things. Jesus is saying... If you somehow stumble across this amazing thing called the kingdom of God, you best sell everything you have so you can acquire it. That is not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is the kingdom of heaven is like Jesus, who when he finds you, is willing to pay any price out of his love for you to hold you. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like is a God who pursues, finds, and treasures you. God's love is your greatest need. Your greatest need. Paul writes this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This reiterates God's incredible passionate love for us. He is willing to sacrifice so much to keep us. He is willing to do anything to provide our daily bread and continue to value us and provide with all that we need. God gave up his son for you, and he will graciously give you everything you need. All things, all things, all things which mean the good and the bad, to shape us into the image of his son. Now, this is, this is a really cool thing for me, because through the waters of our baptism, through faith, Christ adopts us. The Father adopts us, and we're brothers and sisters with Christ, right? And as somebody who has been adopted as a young person and somebody who has adopted a daughter together with my wife, I understand the joy of looking at somebody and going, you, I want you in my family. And you are in my family, and you have every legal right as any member of my family. You have the right to my name. You have the right to... Our home, you have the right to who we are and our identity and the little maybe amount of inheritance at the end. But with God, it's I adopt you. I choose you to be in my family. But not only do I choose you, I'm going to shape you into my image. See, I don't look like anything like my stepfather. I don't, and my daughter looks absolutely nothing like me. But when we're adopted into God's family, he transforms us into the image of his son. Let that sink in. When the father looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son. And when you look at one another, I want you to look at one another and see the righteousness of God's son. Treat each other in that way, with that love. God's love is your greatest need. Number two, God's love is sovereign. Paul says this, and we know that for those who love God, those who love God, all things work together for good. There's three really important pieces I want to flush out of that. And this comes in the context of the suffering that was preached about last week. 
Those who love God. Who are those who love God? I want you to know that those who love God are not just those who go, I love God. It's more than a statement. Words are easy. Words are so easy. It's more than a fluttering feeling. It's more than a a solid commitment. John, in his gospel, writes this. This is how you know who loves God. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. See, obedience, we follow the Ten Commandments and we keep them not just because they are great gifts to us that allow us to live the fullest life imaginable this side of heaven, but also to show our love to God. We don't follow them to please him, earn our place in heaven, earn a better space in heaven. We do it because we love God. God says, you want to show your love to me? Love your neighbor, love yourself, love me. That's it. That's who loves God. For those who love God, God works all things to work together for good. All things. All things include the great things that God allows us to encounter in this life. And it also includes those difficult, painful things that we encounter in this world. And as I think about those things and the struggles that I have here and now today, I have to look back at all the struggles that God has carried me through and allowed to to be a crucible in my life, refining me into the person I am today, and I can see the blessings that God worked even, even in the worst moments of my life to make me into the person I am today. I would never want to relive them, but I would never give them up. God uses all things, the good and the bad, For the good of those who are called according to his good purposes. Now good, when we hear this word in English, it's, it's easy to go, well, it's not really what I wanted. It's not the best, most extreme thing imaginable that I desire. But it's, it's okay. It's fine. It's my least favorite word, fine. But we assign good as somehow not like the best, right? Good is like there's good, better, best. And good is like, eh. But in order to understand the biblical concept of what it is to be good, we have to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, when on after the sixth day of creation, on the seventh, Jesus or God steps back, looks at everything, and is amazed because everything is exactly and perfectly the way he envisioned it in his head. It is perfect. It is exactly right. He looks back and goes, that is good. Carry that same word into this text today, that when God uses all things to work for the good of those who love him, it's just not okay, it's just not fine, it's all right, it is good. And there is a heavy weight with that good. It is perfect. It is exactly the way God intended it to be. See, the sovereignty of God, it never ceases to amaze me. He is masterful at taking the brokenness of this world and shaping and forming it into something beautiful. Gungor has has this beautiful worship song that declares, you make beautiful things out of the dust. You make beautiful things out of us. See, he even uses people who don't love him, enemies to his people, to carry out his will. The truth that this removes this general and fear of 
anxiety when life in our mind goes wrong. It's easy to think that way when we see brokenness. But in God's mind, this is not wrong. This is part of the plan. This is a part of his working and shaping, reforming you into the image of Christ. We don't need to fear life and its circumstances. Because even in the excruciating moments in life, we can be fearless knowing that not even this pain removes us from the love of God. That he will use even this pain to shape us into the man or the woman that he has for us to become. This wonderful verse gives me confidence that, that I can't ruin God's good purpose for me. Right? All things really means all things. Not just the good blessings, not just the bad things in this world, but also the mistakes and the shortcomings that I have. Right? A good friend of mine pulled me aside one day when I was in the midst of just some total darkness, and he said, Ty, your mistakes don't remove God's love from you. Your mistakes don't remove God's will for you. He can use even your mistakes to do beautiful things in your life. And I didn't believe it at the time, but after walking through that with him and with God, I can see and know that even my mistakes God has used to bless me in amazing ways. And if you're sitting in this room today and you're thinking, yeah, but you don't know me. You don't know my path. You don't know the places I've been or the place where I am right now. God surely, surely couldn't love me. I want to let you know that is a lie from the enemy. You need to push that out of your head because the truth revealed in God's word is that every one of you is deeply loved by God. You are his treasure. And he uses even our mistakes to work good things. You know, as I think about all the amazing superpowers of God, of course, my favorite superpower that he has is his ability to look at me, love me, forgive me, give me life and renewal and meaning and purpose. That's my favorite. My second favorite superpower of God is his sovereignty. His ability to use all things to the good of me and of you. So God's love is the single most important need that we have. God's love is sovereign, and God's love is permanent. Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you're wondering, yes, this is a totally comprehensive list of everything, and not one thing in all of creation can remove God's love from you. Neither life nor death, nothing in all of the human experience, neither angels nor demons, nothing in the spiritual realm, neither the present or the future, nothing throughout the history of time, nor any powers, anything that opposes God, neither height nor depth, all of space, Nothing, nothing can separate us from Christ's love because he made you, he's found you, he shaped you into the image of his son, and he loves you. The love of God is the single most important thing we need. The love of God is sovereign, and the love of God is permanent. And let these words bring you comfort and peace 
today. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we long to do so much more than just publicly say we love you. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit to live out those commands that you've given to us, to love you, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to do so with passion and joy because we get to. God, we thank you for the love that you have for us that enables you to use your sovereignty to use all things, the blessings, the difficulties, our sin, all of that to bring about blessings in our life that are good. And Father, thank you for this permanence of your love that will never leave, that will never fail, and that can never be taken away. God, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.